Welcome, True Believer readers, to another episode of Let's Read Spider-Man, the best podcast to break down hard-hitting dialogues such as, I'd say you're a shoo-in for this year's Miss Wheatcakes title. Here to provide analysis for that line, and so much more, is my friend Eddie. How are you today, Eddie? Uh, you know, I'm a little worn out. Uh, I do like a good wheat cake uh, mention in Spider-Man. I- I'd love to eat a wheat cake sometime, too. But I'm tired because I just got back from the Spider-Man and Pop Culture Conference at Bowling Green State University, where I presented, and I also got to hang out with our longtime uh, listener and guest, Sarah Pezzel. How are you doing, Sarah? I am fantastic. And, you know, you're talking about the Miss Wheat Cakes title, but we got to talk about your French toast. <laughs> I did make you some French toast for my homemade bread. It was a little bit gourmet, wasn't it? So Yes, very fancy. I'm glad you could just have a good stay at the Haspatcher house. S- yeah. Similar to Aunt May's, perhaps, right? Wait, do all guests of our <laughs> podcast get to go to your house and have breakfast? I think all guests could go to my house and have breakfast. You're invited anytime you'd like. <laughs> I mean, you came over here and I made you blueberry pancakes. I guess this is a tradition. Anybody on the show has to make breakfast for each other from now on. Breakfast items. Well, wheat cakes for our next one, whenever, whenever we get together again. When Eddie visited you, did you make him wheat cakes? No, but I have a recipe that I could definitely use. Um, you'll both have to come out here. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm probably never going to make it that far. <laughs> You could do it, James B. <laughs> yeah. We got a couple New York and Philadelphia listeners. They got an outside shot, but that's about as far as I'm willing to join. <laughs> James B, too much. All right. Well, people aren't going to want to uh, be on our show or listen to our show if we don't get going here soon. So, Eddie, why don't you talk about our first book? <laughs> From September of 1985, Stan Lee presents The Amazing Spider-Man 268, This Gold is Mine, by DeFalco, Friends, and Rubenstein. Eddie, if you recall last episode, Web of Spider-Man 6, uh, it was a two-parter? Uh, yes, right. Well, this is finally part two. All right. Now, this book does recap a lot of what happened in Web of Spider-Man 6, which actually recapped a lot of what's happening in Secret Wars 2, which I, you know, I'm not talking about at all. But I have to acknowledge, at least, that the Beyonder has turned an entire New York building to gold. I think this is the building where Power Man and Iron Fist actually uh, were working out of. Um, but in order not to cause a financial crisis, the government cuts up the building to get rid of the gold and dumps it in a seven-mile-deep trench. The kingpin wants it in the action, and he tries to have some of the gold dumped where he wants it instead. But Spider-Man gets involved and prevents Wilson Fisk's goons from allowing their big, bald boss to get his hands on the gold. Uh, I should make a note here. When we say a building, this is like a seven-story building. It's huge what the Beyonder turns into gold. It is good to see that the Kingpin is trying to double-cross the government. He almost appears heroic and legitimate when the government asks him for help. Uh, He comes in with his men to assist them, and they're very happy to have that happen. Uh, We need to be reminded, although he has this big persona and power and class he's just a common crook sarah what do you think of a spider-man story that was really heavily focused on i thought the government and the price of gold yeah i thought it was interesting first of all because i don't think the government would have actually cleaned up that whole mess uh as 
fast as they seemingly did in the book because it says sometime later and then we see it's their last shipment and you know like Eddie was saying it was a rather large building but as far as like the theme of having that be the focus of the story I I thought that was kind of strange because we like to think of Spider-Man as more of a neighborhood hero right and that was more focused on stateswide like I felt like that was more of like Avengers thing that would happen or like a Fantastic Four thing that would happen like a larger group but I did really like the scene uh, with J. Jonah Jameson and the other reporters. So Ned is like, um, hey, we should drop this story due to the government, you know, and we want to like because they're trying to keep this a secret. And he doesn't want to have his personal life affected by it, which totally makes sense. But J. Jonah Jameson responds by saying um, if the people like asking if the people have a right to know what's going on so i think it's really true to his character that he had the conversation about the responsibility of the journalists to the people and the staff and the freelancers i also thought it was funny when in like a couple panels later he does a total 360 when peter arrives and he's like peter my boy i just knew i could count on you you've always been like a son to me and it's like good job j jonah jameson ruining his own moment by being ridiculous Actually, he wanted Peter to have some pictures for him. And then when he realized Peter didn't have the pictures for him, he did his old, like, get out, get out. But then <laughs> Peter says, but Mr. Jameson, uh, Dad, did you catch that line? He said, yeah. you're like a son to me. And he's like, Dad, <laughs> kind of dumb. So I think we're missing a key part of the book, though. I really liked how Spider-Man was trying to decide whether to keep the Golden Notebook or not. I think it was also well within character for him to feel guilty about having taken the notebook and to be unsure of what to do. Although I do think Spider-Man would not have taken it in the first place for the reasons that he debated about in the book. This reminds me of a panel that we saw at the conference that was called Wall Crawling from the Wreckage, the overshadowed theme of Spider-Man. And it was basically about... The morality of Spider-Man and how he motivates himself to do what he needs to do. Eddie, do you remember anything about that panel? Yes, it was there. so interesting. Great, great citation, Sarah. Uh, yeah, they talk about how Peter Parker has the significantly harder job of like maintaining his life, at, whereas Spider-Man he can just kind of stop being Spider-Man, but he's always got to go back to all these troublesome times that he's in. So he's actually, it's actually Peter Parker's the stronger character here. Hmm. Well. I think the next book is a stronger book of these two books. Why don't you tell us about that one? <laughs> From October of 1985, Stan Lee presents The Amazing Spider-Man 269, Burn, Spider-Burn, by DeFalco, Friends, and Rubenstein. Uh, you know, the splash page here at the very beginning, James B., has um, Fire Lord flying through the cosmos. And uh, this also made me think of a thing from the... Spider-Man and Pop Culture Conference. We got to listen to Mark Sumerak speak. He's a writer that wrote for Marvel and edited in Mar for Marvel for a long time. And actually one of the more interesting things besides writing that he showed us was how different inks can change an image. It was super fascinating. He showed us the same splash page of Spider-Man, but inked in maybe 20 to 25 different ways. And it just changes the tone of what's being said and he, he talked about how, like, the writer and the penciler and the inker have to communicate really clearly in order to make sure that... Wait, are you are you giving the inker some, some props here? I am! I was always baffled. I'm like, the inker? But apparently, like, it is a very important job, actually. It's amazing how much different it can be with we different inks. We don't have to go into the details for Sarah, because we don't want to get you in too much trouble here. But just let be honest. Didn't we recently have a discussion about this? And I was backing that we need to acknowledge the inkers more. And you were kind of saying I, no. 
I almost cut the ink. There's just a lot of inkers credited on a couple of books that we're going to do in the future. I'm like, do we really need to have the inkers? And now I'm like, we need to make sure the inker name. Maybe I'm putting it before the writer from now on. <laughs> All right. I just want to make sure. Like, I knew the inker was important. And uh, actually, I'm pretty sure in one of the Kevin Smith movies, I don't know which one it is. I know it wasn't Clerks, but there's a whole discussion about like they make fun of the inker. They call him like the tracer or something like that. Uh, but uh, yeah, the inker, I find the inker super important as well. So, well, in 269, as you mentioned, former Herald to Galactus, Fire Lord, decides to stop on Earth because he needs something. It's a pizza. Yes, a world filled with central delights, he says, and pleasures unlike any other found in the known cosmos. (laughs) Just really looking for pizza. Yes. Pizza. Well... When he arrives, there's these giant billboards, by the way, for Tony's Pizza. He heads there because it's a culinary achievement that has been mastered nowhere else in the universe. This is what this book is focused on. I'm sorry I spent so much time on it. It's all about food. Meanwhile, Peter is enjoying Aunt May's culinary achievement of wheat cakes, much to the chagrin of grumpy Nathan Lubinsky. And my favorite part of that scene with Peter eating Aunt May's wheat cakes is the conversation between two of Aunt May's boarders. Uh, the woman says, you drink too much coffee, Victor, while the man says, go butter some toast, Rose, and get off my back. And so I'm definitely going to start using Victor's line to various people in my life. And later on, we see that poetry guy. He has like, it looks like a little hat. It might be hair. I don't know. It You can't really tell, but he's got a vibe. And I think he should be a returning character. And I'm glad that he exists. You must have missed these guys because maybe you're just reading Amazing and they were doing a lot of things in Peter Parker at the time. But yeah, Arthur with this little weird hat there, he's part of this crew that they uh, developed for the background characters in the Aunt May's Border story. They're a bunch of strange people, but they're not as strange as the mutants, which are on TV. That's right. The news continues stories about these mutants, and which makes the Tony's Pizza patrons mistake Fire Lord for a mutant. So they plan an attack, and Peter is also attacked verbally by Nathan Lubinsky, who has been flip-flopping on this one, but currently doesn't like the way that Peter treats Aunt May, at least in this issue. Uh, Peter changes into his black costume and heads off pondering Nathan's words as the mob attempts to stop the Cosmic Herald Fire Lord with a water hose. Spider-Man gets involved, and he feels underpowered against Fire Lord. I love how Fire Lord talks. For example, on page 14, he says, Do you have some great insatiable hunger for death? And it's just so extra, and I'm here for it. (laughs) That is a fantastic line, Sarah. I agree. It's like he can't communicate with the plebeian humans around him. This is one of the most acceptable miscommunications that then leads to a major fight I've probably ever read. Well, in the climax of the story, Spider-Man takes Fire Lord's staff and chucks it into the Hudson. He heads over to find the Fantastic Four, but their headquarters is gone. We're supposed to read, you know, Fantastic Four 277 or 278 to see where the building went. I think it's in space. I think Dr. Doom has something to do with it. Realizing he can switch to Peter Parker, he says, hey, I'll just change back to Peter Parker and get the heck out of here. Fire Lord won't bother me. And then when he's changing, his wallet lands on a picture of Uncle Ben. He realizes, ah, oh, I can't shirk my responsibilities. I'm going to have to continue this fight in the next issue. 
which which is probably the only part that is a continuation. I recently learned from the same guy I talked about earlier, Mark Sumarak, who was the keynote speaker at our conference we went to uh, with Sarah, that one-off books, which is what we regularly refer to them, are actually called inventory issues. Uh, and this is where there's an issue if the writer or the artist can't get done with the, uh, the current comic, they just pull it out of a drawer and they're like, there you go. <laughs> and that's the one-off. But inventory issue. I can't help but think that Fire Lord is taking a cue from the Beyonder in this, in Secret Wars. And he's like trying to experience the human food, kind of like how the Beyonder in Secret Wars 2 is trying to experience humans in general. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's it's perfect there to have the pizza as the representation of the Earth's culinary delights. But I did love the end of the issue. I think Spider-Man would not run from a fight for fear that the villain would hurt somebody or something. And I'm also looking forward to reading the fight between the two of them again. I enjoy the art in this issue by Ron Friends, and that also reminds me of another panel where Rick Leonardi, artist Rick Leonardi, who co-created uh, Spider-Man 2099, there's a panel in here where there is the background and you see all the city and the skyline and clouds in the background and then you see Fantastic Four, their headquarters is no longer there and Spider-Man's hanging onto the corner of a building. And in the panel, he talked about the different ways that artists would draw the background. So whether they would have it be a key focus or whether it would not be a key focus and either way they would make it work. Yeah. He actually quoted, uh, Ramita too. John Ramita, when he first started working there, his advice was only draw one panel on a page that will stretch your artistic ability and the rest, you just got to get done <laughs> because there's deadlines that they have to make. So it's interesting to see inside the minds of the people who are creating the books. It's there's there's definitely this like corporate pressure to produce too. They're not just oh, I'm gonna go make some comics or whatever. So Eddie, it's time for our sponsor. All right, Midtown, come to Tony's Pizza, known throughout the galaxy for a culinary achievement that has been mastered nowhere else in the universe. Spokesperson for Tony's Pizza Fire Lord says, "Just thinking about it fills my palate with savage desire. Pizza served anytime." Even during breakfast, who needs wheat cakes when you can have pizza? They have quick heating ovens. AAA is not accepted. Tony's Pizza cards everyone over 21 for alcoholic beverages. Dine at the establishment that has been honored above all others, Tony's Pizza. So. I can hardly say bad things about something that a Herald. Former Herald. Former Herald. Fire Lord would say, Former Herald. But I would wager a guess he hasn't been to enough pizza establishments. I mean, you're up in Connecticut, James B. They got things to say about pizza up there. So Tony, Tony's can advertise. They had some, but they had some big pizza. billboards. They, did you notice they were serving <laughs> breakfast when he showed up? I did not notice that. Actually. Sarah, did you notice this or not really? Yeah, and Fire Lord had to blast the ovens. He's like, yeah, let me heat them up for you. Destroys ovens with his magnificent <laughs> power. And he's like, where's my pizza? Quick heating ovens, they said in the commercial. Uh, Quick heating ovens. Uh-huh. So there you go. That's why. So I just was surprised that Tony's Pizza was serving breakfast. Like, that was their thing. Yeah, find another. Find me another place. Listeners. Listeners, place. send me an email to a place that has the word pizza in their title that serves breakfast. Okay. That's all I want. 
That is a great that's challenge. The, not a place challenge. that also sells pizza, not but it has the word pizza in their title. So, okay, I'm gonna think right. about this, James. Well, and specifically, they were the workers were waiting for donuts, like the construction workers. They were waiting for donuts. <laughs> You're right. That's what he was waiting for, wow. and he left out of there because that's terrifying. Got his buddies and decided to go save yeah. the day. <laughs> uh, Eddie. How can people reach us? You can email us at letsreadspiderman at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at Let's Read Spidey. And now it's time for the close. I'm James B. Joined by Eddie and Sarah. And remember, listeners, if someone is teasing you about your selection of pizza toppings, pictures you took, or your choice of costume, don't ignore them. Just tell them, go butter some toast and get off my back. Goodbye. 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 I so appreciate you accompanying me to the Spider-Man Pop Culture Conference. Next time, you have to present... Uh, what I'm with, I mean, you're I so know. much more like legitimate than everyone there, quite frankly, Sarah. <laughs> no, no, it's not. No like one that, has I, a giant arm tattoo of their seven favorite Spider-Man villains. Isn't it eight villains? Uh, 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 <laughs> seven. Yeah, seven. Sorry, I, had, I was trying to count. I, I did. I literally looked at my arm and I was like, one, two, three. <laughs> so there's seven. All right. Mysterio's on the back. I forget about him. You okay. you've sat through this conference with Eddie. Eddie, how far was this from your house? One hour's drive. Okay, all right. <laughs> Thus, I was not there. So, sorry, you've sat through this conference. Now, you've listened to our podcast. Mm. You kind of know our sense of who knows what about what, all right? I'm sitting here with my Spider-Man comics and all this stuff. However, mm. you know, I, I kind of expire in like 1989 or so. Like, I just don't know a lot of what happens. Eddie has been through this whole conference. Is Eddie now the Spider-Man expert? Has he, has he, <laughs> does he know so much more than me that I am now the, the noob? Tell me the truth. Well, I'm going to tastefully avoid this question. So at the conference, <laughs> they did talk a lot about stuff that's happened since then. Um, and I imagine that some of the stuff made absolutely no sense unless you had read it. So mm. they did. Ha- I mean, it's a lot of years of, you know, stories since then. So like they talked about the Doc well, Ock okay, Hold thing. on, hold on. Hold I just, on, I'm just saying Doc Ock thing. That's all I'm saying. Oh, That's it. Boy. The Doc Ock thing. Well, Doc Ock so- thing. This is why I'm not going out until 2027. I've got a lot of books to read. <laughs>